Hi, and welcome to a very short introduction. From ancient Greece to branding, globalisation to Homer, and logic to fashion, we'll showcase a concise and dynamic insight into a range of diverse topics for wherever your curiosity may lead you. So here is today's very short introduction. Hello, my name is Anthony Arnold, and I'm a law professor at the University of Birmingham in the UK. I've been asked to say a few words about my VSI, which looks at the law of the European Union. EU law teaches us a great deal about how courts and legal systems work and about the relationship between law and economics, history, politics and international relations. These features make EU law of interest not only to lawyers but also to anyone trying to understand one of the most ambitious attempts yet made to get historically, economically and legally diverse nation-states to work together for the common good. To its supporters, the EU has brought peace among peoples long divided by bloody conflicts, in the words of one of its founding documents. It has promoted democracy, human rights and economic prosperity among its members and allowed them collectively to punch above their weight on the world stage helping to advance European values. In 2012, the EU's contribution over six decades to the advancement of peace and reconciliation, democracy and human rights in Europe led to its being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Others doubt whether the political and economic advantages of EU membership are as clear as is often claimed. Some say that even if there are economic advantages to membership, they are outweighed by the damage the EU causes to national autonomy and solidarity. Views such as these prevailed in the 2016 UK referendum on its continued membership. The UK is the first member state to have left the EU. It is now in the process of negotiating what its relationship with the EU will be once the transition period agreed in 2019 comes to an end. Until the coronavirus pandemic struck, news bulletins were full of talk about customs unions, free trade areas and WTO rules, about Ursula von der Leyen and Michel Barnier. Is there anyone out there who has not heard of Article 50? I've been teaching European Union law at university level for many years. I've often thought that students would benefit from a brief overview of the entire subject so that they can see the lie of the land before tackling the detail. More recently, I began to wonder whether such an overview might also be of interest to the general reader, hence my VSI. My VSI is not intended as a manifesto for any particular viewpoint. I have tried to approach the subject impartially and to explain in clear terms what EU law requires of us and why. I have left it to readers to decide for themselves whether it is a good or a bad thing. I start with some attention-grabbing decisions of the European Court of Justice. The Google case, 
where the internet search company was told to remove data on a named individual from a list of search results, an application of the so-called right to be forgotten. Cardi, where a suspected terrorist overturned an EU measure freezing his assets. Mangold, where a lawyer overturned a contractual clause limiting the duration of his employment because he was over 52 years old. The reason these cases came before the court is that they raised issues that the member states of the EU had decided should be regulated at EU level rather than left to each member state to decide for itself. The range of issues that the EU has the power to regulate has grown significantly since it was founded in 1951. Disputes over the precise limits of the EU's powers have generated much work for the Court of Justice of the EU. The Court's approach is heavily influenced by the civil law tradition of the six original member states, although the influence of the common law began to be felt with the accession in 1973 of the UK and Ireland. The court has many admirers, but it also has critics who regard it as an activist or political court. Such critics tend not to acknowledge the difficulty that sometimes faces the court when confronted with gaps and ambiguities in the treaties and their multilingual nature. My interest in the subject was triggered at university. After several exchange visits to France while at school, I was already a Francophile and became fascinated by what was then known as the EEC and what it had managed to achieve. After a year abroad in Brussels, I knew this was the area in which I wanted to specialise.